The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Good morning. So great to have you here with us in person, and those of you joining us online, great to have you with us as well. Well, this morning, I wanted to actually start off with a question for you all, and I'm not going to have you turn and share, okay? This is just a, just a question for you to ask yourself, all right? Here, here, here we go. My, fill in the blank. My life would be happier if I just had blank. Fill in that blank for yourself. My life would be happier if I just had blank. We all probably fill in that, that in a different way, right? Like some of us, it's something material. Like if I just had a house, if I just had a car. For some of us, it's relational. If I just had a boyfriend or a girlfriend or closer friends in my life or a husband or a wife. For some of us, it's, it's career-oriented or maybe school-oriented. Like if I just got into the right school or if I just had a new job or if I had a different boss, whatever it is, we fill in those blanks in a different way. And for us in our culture, it's often difficult to know, is that something that's really the best thing for me or is that just something that I'm just putting on myself and I'm just want it for you know, selfish reasons. It's tough for us to sort it out because we live in such a culture that it bombards us all the time with you need this, you need that, you need this, you need that, right? The average person sees 10,000 ads a day now. That's crazy. It hit me, I was in a, I was in a, a family vacation where our family went on this little trip with my extended family. We went to southern Maine and I, I told my son, hey, uh, maybe we could go to Fenway Park because we enjoy going to baseball games and, and Fenway Park is like one of the most sacred baseball sites in, you know, the country. Do you guys know this, right? Fenway is like supposed to be the, one of the ultimate places to go. So my son and I, we had already gone to Wrigley a few years ago. That's another one of the sacred sites of baseball. Now Fenway, we decided let's go to this one. Not a Red Sox fan, but thought this would be fun. So we did. And we're sitting there in our seats. And my son turns to me and he goes, there are a lot of ads in this place. <laughs> and you look around 
Fenway, and it shocked me how many ads there were in this most sacred of ballparks, right? I mean, everything from gambling sites to beer to healthcare places to everything telling you, you need more, you need more, you need this, you need this. And it got me thinking about how often we're bombarded with that in our lives. Um, And so we're going through a series over the course of August in Psalm 23. And Psalm 23 is really a way for us just to pause and reflect as a church, take a deep breath, and go, God, what is it that I really need right now? So actually, right here, right now, I'm going to invite you to do this, right? I'm going to actually invite us all just to take a deep breath together. All right, you ready? Here we go. Breathe in and breathe out. You ready? <gasps> so often we don't have those moments in our lives just to take a breath anymore. So many of us are, are bombarded by busyness, by the desire to acquire more or to achieve more in our society. Um, But the Psalms are great places for us to go to reflect and go, who am I? They're very raw expressions of our emotion. They're the original Spotify playlist for God's people, the Psalms. Uh, But let me just say, some of them you read and they are not exactly uh, what you would expect to sing in a church service. Some of them are pretty shocking because they're so raw with God. And God goes, not only do I accept that, I want you to put that in the Bible because I want you to understand it's okay to bring all of who you are to me. And these Psalms also reorient us to who God is and his character as well. And Psalm 23 is one of the most famous Psalms in the Bible. And and we're, we're really leaning into it during this season because we want this season to be a season of reflection and of rest for us as a church. We want to connect with God in a fresh way because we want our doing for God to flow out of our being with God. So Psalm 23 uh, is so familiar to some of us. We, we might just kind of accept it for what it is and, and just kind of, it's so rote in our minds. But it starts off, the first half of the psalm displays God as a shepherd. And the second half displays God as a king. Now, David wrote this psalm, it's attributed to David, probably at the end of his life because David served as a shepherd and then as a king. But rather than David placing himself in the role of shepherd and king, David then says, actually, I'm a sheep and I'm a guest. And it's a fascinating look at at the way that David has come to realize his own place in God's kingdom. So let me start off this series by reading the first verse, and that's the whole thing we're talking about this morning, just the first verse. So we're going to break this up into chunks. Here's the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. That brings me to my first point. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
<laughs> You're going to sense a theme in the points. I'm just going to let you know. Uh, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Um, I'm old, okay? So I've been wa- I watched a couple of weeks ago, I watched the, uh, a documentary on the James uh, Webb telescope. Or, yeah, in space. They launched this new telescope in space. They sent it million miles away to look at the galaxy, okay? And uh, because I'm old, I thought, that's, that's pretty fascinating. Let me, let me watch this. And it really actually was, for me, pretty fascinating. And, and the first picture that this telescope sent back was this. Um, picture that, that is pretty astounding uh, for us. Here we are. This is the first picture that they sent back, taken on just a little snapshot of just a little piece of the sky. Each one of those dots of light that you see there is not a planet or a star. Each one of those dots of light is actually a galaxy. Is a galaxy in vivid, just unbelievable glory. I mean, look at that. It's unbelievable. And, and that's just a fraction. There's thousands of galaxies in that one little picture, right? The Lord. The Lord. There was God a, a approached Moses, another a hero of the faith. As Moses was a shepherd in the wilderness, he, he, he showed him himself in the form of a burning bush and said to Moses, I want you to go let the captives free, my people free. They're in bondage right now in Egypt, and I want you to go set them free. And Moses says to him, well, hold on. First of all, who am I supposed to tell them that sent me? Because this is a pretty big deal. And God responds to him, you just tell them I am sent you. I am who I am. The God who breathes the stars doesn't need you, doesn't need me. He's sustaining all of that right now in the power of his hands. And that makes me feel really, really small, but kind of in a good way. (laughs) Like in a way that I don't need to control the universe I am not the one in charge. Yeah, I have things that I want to see, but ultimately there is a God who is bigger, that knows everything, that is not beholden to me, that has been here for long before I got here and will be here long after I'm gone. He is in control, and I can trust the Lord. The Lord. So that's where this whole thing starts. Dallas Willard, um, famous theologian, wrote a book called Life Without Lack. And in this book, he says this, the experience of a life without lack depends first and foremost upon the presence of God in our lives because the source of this life is God himself. The source of this life without lack isn't the next thing, isn't the thing we see the commercial for, it's God himself. Well, that brings me to my second point. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. There's a natural implication to this, and it's this. We're sheep. (laughs) 
And that's not a, like a, a really great thing to be called, right? None of us likes to uh, embrace that fact because sheep are not exactly uh, the most desirable creatures on the planet. They are, if, if you know, for us, we kind of think of them as like little creatures in the zoo that maybe you go, oh, that's a fuzzy little critter. That's so amazing. Let me pet him. And that's cool. Uh, but, but back in this day, when David is writing this psalm, uh, sheep were probably the lowest thing you'd want to be compared to because sheep are dirty. Uh, they aren't smart. They're always wandering away. Um, they're defenseless. So, so here's the deal about a sheep, right? If they get turned on their back, I've discovered this even as I was preparing for this. If, if a sheep is on its back, it doesn't know how to get up from its back. So a sheep will go like, just be sitting there and they will have a panic attack and die because they don't know how to get up. So they're like, ah, and, and just because they're on their back, they can't like turn over on their own. Um, they'll overconsume. They'll just sit in one place and eat the grass to the dirt rather than go, oh, maybe I could just move over here and just, you know, eat over here. Sheep are not what we want to be compared to, but um, there's so many metaphors in the Bible about us being sheep. And so we got to go, well, this is part of the deal. Um, if I had to describe sheep in one word, it would be this, dependent, dependent. Let me give you an illustration of this. Here's a sheep that wandered away in Australia um, five years ago, or uh, for five years he was wandering away. Two years ago they found this. Some of you may have seen this picture before. Mike, have you seen this picture before? It's from Australia, so I, I figure, you know, you probably would have. But, um, but this guy ran away and uh, for five years, he was on his own. Now, sheep need to be sheared every year or else they, they, their coat just grows and grows and grows. This guy, his coat grew and grew and grew. And now he, they sheared him. They got 78 pounds of wool off of this bad boy, okay, when they found him. 78 pounds of wool. Now, now go from the God of the universe that we just saw in that picture, right? And then go to that picture. What's the difference between all of the galaxies in the sky and that sheep that can't even shear itself? It's, you can't even compare them, right? You can't even compare them. And that's the way God wants us to ap appreciate our relationship with him. We are so dependent on him. So dependent on him. And, and you'll notice in this verse it says, God isn't just a shepherd. He des this verse describes God as my shepherd. My shepherd. Jesus picks up with this theme in John 10. He goes on a, a big chunk of John 10 and devotes himself to the, being the good shepherd. Jesus actually referring back to Psalm 23 most likely is saying, actually, you know what was prophesied about the Lord? Actually, I'm I'm going to talk about what being a good shepherd is really about. Here's, here's one of the things that Jesus says in John 10, 14 to 15. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. Again, it's personal, right? This is a personal thing between God and us, Jesus and us. 
and my sheep know me. There's an opportunity for us to know intimately Jesus. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. So the question that Jesus gives us in this passage is not, hey, how much are you doing for me? It's, how much are you listening to my voice? The ultimate job of us as Christians is not to go around trying to strive and do our best and try as hard as we possibly can. The ultimate goal for us is to listen to the voice of Jesus in our lives. If we've committed ourselves to him and said, I can't do this on my own, Jesus. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to, to be the one that guides me. He will speak to us if we take the time to do it. Can I have a little pastoral moment with you guys this morning as a church? Can I do that? A little pastor moment. Um, I love this church. I absolutely love it. And they're... One of the things I love about this church is we have so many talented people in this church. I mean, it's an embarrassment of riches. If I look around this room, there are so many talented people. I mean, you think about business leaders, educators, administrators, um, craftsmen. I mean, I could just point out the different people in this room it's unbelievable the level of of talent even people in ministry that are here serving in this church in ministry it's unbelievable the talent that we have but there's a danger in that and here's the danger rather than depending on god we depend on ourselves and our own strength and we can just go by through the motions because we can do it on our own we fail to recognize that we are sheep in need of a shepherd and we just go through the motions and just do things on our own strength and i'm guilty of that too it's not i'm not pointing fingers here if i look back on 22 years i've been in ministry i can say there are more times than i want to admit where i didn't stop just to listen to the voice of jesus i went through planning on my own and um, God invites us to something deeper. It's not that plans aren't great or that our minds aren't beautiful, but even better than a plan, even better than our, our own ideas is what God has for us. And I believe that's the next thing that he wants to invite us into as a church. Not simply saying, yeah, we're going to do this on our own, but Jesus, what do you have for us? All right, my last point I'm going to share with you guys this morning. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Whoa. <laughs> Again, a shocking statement. I lack nothing. Not only does our culture not want us to grasp this so much, sometimes our life experiences cause us not to embrace this as much. And uh, for me personally, I realize how much of my life has been really fighting against this. I, I personally really fail to depend on God as much in my life as maybe I could. And uh, I realize my history has even played, played, a, played a role in that. So like my mom was an American Indian woman. Uh, we're from the Saponi tribe, which is 
uh, southern Virginia, northern North Carolina, and um, grew up very relationally rich environment, but physically very poor. So she, the first half of her life, she went to Indian school, and that was like a one-room schoolhouse. And um, so if kids had to pee, they, they peed in these little, these little uh, buckets that were there. That's like how crazy poor the area was. And they did not send the highest quality teachers to these places, right? So, so it was not a very re- physically wealthy place. That's, that was the environment she grew up in. My dad, his dad was uh, an immigrant from Italy, came over, worked in a factory to feed his six kids. Um, so neither one of them grew up in very, you know, prosperous kind of environments. Then my dad becomes a pastor, not the most lucrative of careers for most, you know, for a lot of people, and um, was in Pennsylvania for the first 20 years of his ministry and then moved to New York uh, when I was in eighth grade. So when I was in eighth grade, uh, we were here. By the time 10th grade rolled around, uh, that church that he went to up here folded. So all of a sudden, my family, like, was pretty... Like, we didn't have a lot. And all growing up, um, most of my clothes were hand-me-downs. So I would get big bags of clothes, like whether it was from people in the church or whatever. I'd get big bags and sort through, I want this, I don't want that, I want this. And um, that was a lot of my existence. Well, when my dad lost that job, I learned pretty quickly, if I want something, I just got to work for it. And that's what I did. Like, I, I got a job at Wegmans. I worked really, really hard. And so everything that I wanted, I, I worked really hard for. Um, and that became a pattern for me, just work really hard for it. If you want it, work really hard for it. Work really hard for it. And, um, and so I did. Well, a, a, a crazy thing is uh, God called my wife and myself into uh, full-time ministry and uh, missions, and working with college students. Now, for those of you who know missions, you are dependent upon individuals or churches to support you for your job. That's what you do. That's how you, how you get your livelihood is by people saying, hey, we want to give to you. And um, I got to tell you, there is not a better church to be sent from than Browncroft, <laughs> bar none. Because the people in this church were so gracious to us and so generous that I could not, I, I still can't believe how the generosity of this place. But a weird thing would happen almost every year. It would get to this point in the year where I would be like, oh no, I don't know if we're going to have enough for the next paycheck. And I would start to spaz every time. Every time. I'm not, I'm not, ju- I'm like, you would think my faith would get built over and over again, but no, I would start to spaz. This is the time, God, you leave us high and dry. This is it. This is it. Every single time, it was often through generosity of people here, and, and there were some times that people were so generous, I was literally moved to tears. Like, I literally cried because I couldn't believe that God was providing in that way. Every time, God would say, no, I want you in this. Here you go. Every time, every time. And I'd like to think that over the years I've grown a little bit in that area, but I, I'm still 
not perfect. I still can doubt. God, are you going to show up this time? Are you going to show up that this next time? Um, but God teaches us over and over and over again. So let me actually bring you back to the question that, you ask your, that I had you ask in the beginning. What is it that you feel like would make your life happier? What is it? Now, I'm not asking you to, to totally deny that and say my life wouldn't be any happier. You know, I, I, to have some, so, uh, some sort of like stoic kind of attitude toward Christianity. Like that's not God. God is very free with accepting what us saying, hey, this is what I want, God. Um, it's not a difference like Buddhism would say, no, we got to just totally deny our desires altogether. That's not what God says, but he, the ultimate goal is this, that we would submit our desires to our good shepherd because he has what's best for us. So are you willing to take that one thing and say to God, or to Jesus as my good shepherd, here you go. I really, really want this, Jesus, but ultimately you know better than I do. Are we willing to do that as a church? Jesus, I really, really want this, but you know best for me as a church. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 31 to 34. So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <laughs> Think collectively, just sitting in the wisdom of our good shepherd who loves us so much. And I would say to you, you might be asking your question to me like, John, how do I know? How do I know for sure that Jesus really has what's best for me? It's funny you should ask because <laughs> we're going to celebrate it this morning. This celebration that takes place called communion is really the ultimate demonstration that we have a good shepherd the shepherd who would lay down his life for us. Isaiah 53, 6 says this. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him, is a prophecy about Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The guilt, that's what iniquity means, of us all. Each one of us has wandered. Each one of us wants to do our own thing. And yet rather than God saying, hey, I'm going to let them do their own thing, he sends Jesus to die in our place. There's a beauty in that that we can't fully understand in the here and now, but is reality. So I'm going to ask elders uh, and uh, staff to come forward to um, distribute uh, communion. And we're going to do this uh, in a way that's you're going to have ushers usher you out per, role, per row. 
And I would love for you in these moments to consider what Jesus has done for you. And not only what Jesus has done for you, but to consider that question. What is it that, that I might need to surrender to Jesus right now because he has what's best for me? As you come up, take the elements and bring them back to your seat. And when you get back to your seat, just hold them there. I'll come back up after we're all served, and then we'll partake in this together. Let me just pray over this time that God would be guiding it. Lord Jesus, we're here because you are our good shepherd. Lord Jesus, we desperately need you more than we could ever ask or think or more than enters our minds most days. We're dependent on you, Jesus. And the ultimate example of this is our dependence because we have wandered away from you. We are on our own nature sinful and separated from you. But Jesus, you died so that we could live. And so in these moments, I pray that you would be speaking to us individually and corporately that we'd have a greater appreciation of your sacrifice for us. We pray it in your name. Amen.